Shalom Mishpacha. Shalom, family. Mishpacha is a Hebrew word. It means family. <laughs> We're the Mishpacha, the family with the Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people. We're in the middle wall. Guess what? Just as I'm saying that, God is speaking to me that people are being healed. Uh, there are people that have back and neck problems. If you bend over and if you move your head, you'll see that you have been totally healed. Uh, and it's no wonder my guest moves in some extraordinary signs and wonders that, candidly, I have never heard of anyone in this in, in my lifetime that walked in these particular gifts. Uh, his name is Dr. James Maloney, and I've wanted to interview him for a long time. And this is the moment. Uh, James, I was talking to you the other day, and you told me about, to me, what was so amazing, a tattoo supernaturally came off of someone. Tell me about that. Well, Sid, uh, can I just interject something? Um, while you were getting those words of knowledge, I felt that there were several individuals that were getting healed in the thyroid area. In fact, um, tumorous areas in the thyroid, and one particular lady doesn't even have a thyroid, and if she would stick her finger in that vacant hole there, she will find that it's growing and thickening. We've seen hundreds of people get healed of this, and I just felt when you were moving so powerfully in the word of knowledge that people were getting healed and tumors were dissolving. So um, I'm sure you'll get a report. Um, praise God. <laughs> well, this this particular young man, um, he was a part of the gang of our day, and um, his tattoos on his body was about the worst I've ever seen Sid in my life. Um, he was up in the prayer line, a precious, precious gentleman, been saved just a couple of weeks, and he was so embarrassed because he had needle marks in his arm, just hundreds of them, black and blue, and on both arms, <clears throat> and um, yet also to all of the the tattoos, they were so demonic. He said, you know, and tears welled up in his eyes. He said, I, I just want to serve God, and yet I'm so embarrassed by these tattoos. And I felt the Holy Spirit just rise up within me, and I had an impression of God's hands. It was kind of above him, above his head. I saw it in a visionary form. Uh, God placing his hands, the Lord placing his hands on those um needle marks. And so I just, I just did that just, you know, spontaneously. And then when I removed my hand about 15 seconds later, all of the needle marks disappeared. And I said, now watch what happened, what God will do for your um, tattoos. That's all I said. I mean, nothing changed at that time. So the next morning he woke up and he was washing his face and brushing his teeth in the mirror, and here's all these tattoos all over his body. I mean, there, I don't think there was an area of his body that didn't have a tattoo, and they were all demonic. And he said, oh, Jesus. And when he said that, all of a sudden, he felt this um, surge like a tingling and poof, like dust. All of these tattoos just poofed in the air, flaked off in the air, and fell down on the tile. And God removed every tattoo on his body. James, you have been in ministry 40-plus years. Uh -huh. Does it ever get old to you seeing something like that? No, I mean, it just... Uh, 
Oh, Sid, I mean, you know, to God's glory, I mean, every time I see something like that, it's a fresh and a new, and, and God's so good. Now, you know, that's the way I feel, too. I, I mean, I, to see the living God show up at a meeting, I mean, it, it, it blows me out of the water. Well, it it is. It's exciting, and it's been that way for 40-some years, ever since I remember when I was sitting under the ministry of the late Catherine Coleman, Lonnie Frisbee, all of the Jesus people. Oh, I heard, I heard about Lonnie Frisbee's miraculous uh, anointing. I mean, it, it, it was unreal. Uh, but I, I, one of the things that you're doing uh, that is, I've, I've never heard of this actually ever before, uh, you call it a panoramic vision. Uh, what exactly is a panoramic vision? Well, Sid, what it is, it's an operation of the discerning of spirits. I tell people in my meetings, I really don't have gifts of healings and workings of miracles. Now, maybe some other minister does, but I don't. Um, I have discerning of spirits and gift of faith. And so what happens is, uh, ever since I was 19 years of age, I felt a real surge of anointing, particularly in my right hand. And after all of these years of praying for countless people, I have been able to learn to discern certain impressions in my hand that the Holy Spirit's allowing me to sense that's directly from the Father going into the person's body. And so that's one aspect of discernment, and they sense it as well. But also, I have, um, because of my own infirmity in the past few years, the Holy Spirit has allowed a tremendous experience to come in my life. And it's not something new. It was something that mightily moved and operated in the late 1940s through a ministry, I'm sure others, but particularly uh, the late William Branham in his early ministry. And um, I think I'm just a generation right now, um, one of many, I'm sure God's going to raise up that this panoramic operation. But explain what you see. What what exactly is a panoramic vision? It's Hosea 14.10, where it says, Hosea states, said that I will come into multiplied visions. And if you look in the original Hebraic language, it means I come into um, panoramic or where we get motion picture. So what happens is, when I have uh, a, a distinct presence of a specific angel to my right side, if I get real quiet and listen, discernment comes to me, and up thrown above the gentleman or lady, I have snapshots of different events in their life. It's like my thought life. My thoughts are thrown up on the wall or the ceiling, and they superimpose themselves and they're even more uh, more known or more seen than even the wall or the ceiling, and so they start moving. So what happens is, I just it's quite simple. I just see it move. Three years ago, you were in a car accident. You were dri- driving a red, you know, uh, Corolla. Is that correct? And they go, "How'd you know?" <laughs> it's always <laughs> nine times out of ten they say, "How do you know?" And what happens is, I. Your right hip was uh, completely smashed. You had reconstructive surgery. You have a metal hip. Is that correct? Uh-huh. 
how did you know? And then they start sensing a burning sometimes, and God just quickens their body and dissolves, like we've had this countless times, the metal, and God give them a brand new hip. And they've gone back to the doctors, and they can't find the metal. And, um, you know, it creates faith. It creates faith not only in my life, because there's absolutely no way, Sid, I would have the faith development as long as I've walked with the Lord over 40-some years to have that, those kind of details. I don't. So it's a gift of faith that drops on me. And then I just know that I know that I know that what I'm seeing is of God. I've developed it where I just share it. And then what happens is the gift of faith goes out in the congregation. What, what do you mean by that? When the gift of faith goes out in the congregation, what occurs? Oh, all kinds of things. I mean, the, their faith level goes from two or three to 15, you know, and some people start getting healed in their seats, tumors dissolve, uh, cancers crippling conditions. James, when I hear what you're saying right now, and I think back about your beginnings, I mean, you were, as a baby, you were neglected, you were hungry, you were dirty, you were locked in a closet for hours, you went through brutal beatings. Um, How did you even survive that? I I don't see how anyone can survive that. Well, Sid, I barely survived. I barely did survive. Um, This is not a bad reflection to my biological mom. She was just trying to protect me from her crazed husband, who was an alcoholic. She had had an affair, and I was illegitimate. She had not told him because he was in penitentiary. When he was paroled early, he saw this three-year-old that was on his living room floor. He knew I could not possibly be his because there was no visitation rights in that day. And uh, so the demon of anger rose up. So for about a year, I went through this type of physical abuse. I lived over nine months in the closet. Um, The only time I was taken out of the closet was to be beaten. Um, Then, you know, thrown back in there. Sometimes I'd go two, three days with just a bottle of water, maybe a little bit of milk, half-eaten hamburger. I don't know, Sid. I, I really... You know, just God's grace. I mean, um, you know, just God's grace. And yeah, You know, James, our time is slipping away, but I wanted them to see how, you know, I, I've gotten to know you a little bit. And uh, you walk in humility, but you will never forget your beginnings. And it's all God in your life. And and that's the way it is in everyone's life. They just don't know it. You know it. Now, James, I am so excited to release the Forerunner Foundation Package, which consists of your brand new book, Overwhelmed by the Spirit, and three CD messages. I love the term you describe the Holy Spirit as the glorious intruder. And the Holy Spirit is sent to empower us to bring God's plan to place in our life. Uh, And you're going to discover your gifts. You're going to discover your callings. You're going to walk in the miraculous. You're going to uh, have your weaknesses God's going to cause to be your strengths. This is the reason it's called the Forerunner Foundation Package is 
God is about ready to accelerate the supernatural in the lives of those that understand. And this package will allow you to understand for the greatest move of God's Spirit that's about, it's going to equip you. We're making it available for $35. Call it right today. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697. 1-800-447-2697. On yesterday's broadcast, we found out about a gift that, you know, James, I would say it would provoke me to jealousy, but according to the Bible, it's the Gentile believer that's supposed to provoke the Jew to jealousy. And until recently, you would have been classified there. However, you found out an amazing story about your grandparents. Tell me about them, your mother's parents. Well, just prior to my adopted dad's death, Sid, I didn't know this all these 40-some years. I mean, I would have people come up to me if it happened once, it happened a dozen times over 40-some years. You do not know this, Brother Maloney, but you're Jewish. And I would just, you know, well, thank you, of course, you know, praise (laughs) God. But I found out through my uh, dad, who's now gone on to be with the Lord, my adopted dad, that... um, my um, grandmother, her parents lived in Tel Aviv. She and her parents moved to Berlin, and um, they uh, got a business. And my grandmother married, which is quite unusual, a uh, German gentleman who converted to Judaism, which is very, very rare. They had this business course. Then, when Hitler came and destroyed. You know, the businesses burned them down right prior to closing the borders. He did permit 400,000 visas out uh, to individuals to, to get out of the country. Only 100,000 got visas. 300,000 were taken to the camps. Well, one of the 100,000 was uh, my grandmother and her husband. And uh, when they came to America, of all places, they could have gone to other nations they uh, were sent to America. My biological mom was born in 1940, and then I was born 16 years later, 1956. So, yeah, I'm... So, so you know what I'm seeing, James? I am seeing that the devil tried to snuff your life out twice. Once in the Holocaust of, uh, uh, of your grandparents. The second, uh, when you were a neglected baby... Uh, and just brutal beatings. Uh, but at age 15, you had an encounter with the Lord. Tell me about that. Well, you know, Sid, I never thought about that. That's a revelation that the enemy tried to snuff me out before I was born. That, that's Thank you for that. Um, I was very um, broken because of my upbringing. Even though my adoptive parents loved me, I know they did, but because of certain scenarios, situations in the house, there was just no communication. And so with the wounding of rejection, um, I was at 14, I was very suicidal. Um, Don't think a teenager cannot be suicidal at that age, and I was. And I just couldn't take it anymore. And... um, I remember on uh, New Year's Eve in 1970, 
December 31st, I cried out and I said, God, if you're real, you know, I didn't know. I, I mean, I knew God was real. All I had to do is look upon the handiwork of creation and see that he was real. But I said, and I remember telling God, I said, God, I need you to live in me. I didn't even know what it meant, Sid, to be born again. Jesus, Yeshua coming into your heart and becoming your Messiah. I didn't know uh, your Savior and Lord. I, and I'm trying to convince him to come into my heart. And I wept myself to sleep on January 1st of 1971 as I laid there in bed. I was 15. I saw a flickering of a light on the floor. That was a little strange because the sun hadn't yet come up. And then the light spread and it became very tall. And wherever the light was, I could not see the wall or the ceiling. And I just felt compelled that whoever was standing in the light, I wasn't seeing a form, it was a person of royalty. And I needed to get down on my knees. And I did. And I just was very bold. I just took my hands and I put it in that light. And that light covered my hands all the way up to my elbows. I could not see my hands, my wrist, all the way up to my elbow because of the glory, the light. And when I did, I looked right down in front of my hands in between my arms. And then I saw physically two outstretched hands come out towards me. And I could tell with uh, could tell by the nail print and uh, the upper part of the hand, they were the hands of Jesus. And uh, Jesus spoke to me and he spoke to me audibly. And he said, I've heard your cry for acceptance and I've heard your cry for reality. And he said, I love you just the way that you are, because that's what I needed to hear. And at that time, that was I was gloriously born again. And that started my trek. Now, now at 19, you saw a little bit more than the hands of Jesus. What happened? At 19 years of age, I went through an amazing time of um, prayer and fasting. I was in Bible college. That may sound real spiritual to the hearers, but uh, I just didn't have any money, and they didn't have a cafeteria, so (laughs) he had no other choice but to fast. But God used it, you know. And I think I was on a 14-day fast, and I just um, became like a dead person laying on my bed, and my face was turned towards the wall. I couldn't open up my eyes, and this is found scripturally in the book of Daniel. Daniel fell as a dead man, and as I laid there in my flesh, I was just dead, this brilliant light. I thought, my, if, if my eyes were open, it would blind me. But this brilliant light stood right there uh, next to me, next to my bed and the wall. And I just instinctively, see, the Holy Spirit was teaching me, Sid, I uh, just knew instinctively that it was not Jesus, but it was an angelic messenger. And it was a 22-minute experience, and basically... The angel, the messenger angel, laid out aspects of my ministry that I would come into over a 30 or 40 year period. And um, so far, you know, they've come to pass and there's still some things that are yet to come to pass. But that's how basically one of one of the main experiences I had that affirmed my uh, calling into uh, 
the ministry. I'm not saying that, you know, a person has to have that encounter. It's just, just happened to me. And I don't know why I, you know, I'm nobody. And so I it just, I give God all the glory. It, it has really encouraged me through the times of great testing. But, but, but you know something, James, with what you went through, it was so traumatic that I don't believe you, as a child, I'm saying, I don't believe you'll ever forget that. And the same thing happened with me, and that's why I know that. Uh, because when I was 30 and became a believer in Jesus, I went through the Word. I was, I was so rescued by Jesus that I can't even fathom being backslidden. It, it's not in my vocabulary. And that's what, that's what God did with you. That's yeah. It really said you're right. What is that? I mean, being backslidden. I mean, um, I know what it means theologically, but as far as experientially, I mean, I've tasted. I've seen that the Lord is good. I've had my eyes open to Him. I've been raptured, caught up to heaven. I've I've had angelic encounters. He's visited me. He's talked with me. He's appeared in my meetings, you know, I mean, what are you going to do? The miracles, the signs, the wonders, and and just aside from all of those supernatural expressions, just the peace, the joy inwardly, you know, the sense of righteousness, rightness. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it's just a part of my DNA and your DNA. And I, no, you can't, you cannot personally get over something like that and your upbringing as difficult. And I'm sure that those that are listening, I'm sure there's many that have gone through some of the same horrible situations. In fact, I sense that, Sid, uh, even worse. I mean, I've been hearing testimonies of people going through even more difficult things that I even went through, and I just shake my head and just my heart breaks, but I can relate. And and there's this, this compassion, and, and, and there's a sense of destiny. You know, there's a sense of destiny um, that every believer can have, you know. And, and by the way, that's uh, your book, Overwhelmed by the Spirit. Uh, I, I, I'll ask a question that I'm sure I know the answer to, but maybe not. Why did you write the book, Overwhelmed by the Spirit? Well, <clears throat> the reason why I wrote the book was because Number one, I had two major life-changing encounters in 2012, one in May, one in October. But number two, the content of being overwhelmed by the Spirit or the glorious intruder. I had so much to overcome, wounding, bruising, uh, issues mentally, emotionally, that I came to the realization that the Holy Spirit is our helper. He is our comforter, our paraclete, and he abides within us. But there's not just the gentle side, as important as that is, and the love, and, and of course he aids in us when we need those, what I term, hug therapies from him. But there's also more of an aggressive side where if we'll yield to him, particularly in the baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues and allow our understanding of the importance of tongues, speaking in tongues, what will happen is it will just elevate you. Your spirit man will take dominion and it will rise up and it will start 
as you study the Word as well, and as you cooperate, the Holy Spirit will start renewing your mind. Uh, uh, James, I'm sorry, we're out of time. Now, I've never seen this, James, but you get reports that people see a fire over your head. Have you heard that often? Uh, Yeah, several times. It kind of blows me away, too. You know, I... Could, could that be the same fire from Pentecost that, that came on the heads of all the people there? Or it, uh, one minister called it, uh, you know, pillar of fire by night, cloud by day, the pillar of fire. I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit or Jesus Christ, uh, you know, the Messiah or God the Father. I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's just that when it comes time to minister to 500 people, you know, I just see this rolling flame that just comes from my right towards me, and it just settles. And in this fire stands this uh, very large angelic person. He's not a healing angel. He's just there to strengthen me and to discern, help bring discernment. And, and it just and the people that I call up, they, they come under the same heavy... Uh, fire experience. So I, I don't know. I don't know, Sid. I don't. I don't have a grid for it. I don't. Now you were mentored by a woman that uh, had an amazing ministry, Frances Metcalf, and she had. Was it actually a vision, or did the Lord appear about what would happen in the last days? Where did that come from? Yeah, she had several. She had probably countless, uh, her and her group of about 50 to 60, 70 women and men. For over 50 years, they met in my hometown six days a week, seven, eight hours every night in ministry unto the Lord and praise and worship and intercession to the nations. But it went further than that. They were um, a forerunning group and um, Jesus, Francis was a seer prophetess. Francis is my spiritual mom. That whole group have sent me out. I'm an extension of the golden candlestick. And they all thought they had public ministry, but God spoke to everyone. I'm supernaturally give it up to minister to the King of Kings. And they did for 50 some years. And one of their prayers was, look, if we give up public ministry, would you send out someone from this mountain resort community that would go into the nations of the world and would enter into our intercessions and high praise and experiences and relate the message? And so they had a distinct message. Jesus appeared to Francis, said to answer your question um, face-to-face. Most of her encounters were not in the mind's eye. They were directly face-to-face, just as Moses experienced God the Father face to face, and Jesus spoke to her and said, there will come a time in the time of end time ministry that I will raise up a generation and they will be called the Dove Company. And then he explained to her what the Dove Company uh, is, for which I do in the series that we're providing, the Dove Company. And in fact, we've even changed our name to that, our ministry name, Voice of the Dove Company, because we feel it's time right now. We're moving in one of the greatest manifestations. Paint me a—that's what I want want to know. I want you to paint me a picture 
from the words of Frances Metcalf and the words she heard from the Lord as to what we are going to see. Jesus Christ, face-to-face, Sid, told her, face-to-face, that there would come an appointed time. Now I believe we're in the beginning of it. He spoke to her and said that there would be a forerunning group that would be called the Dove Company. And they would have, they would enter into encounters with the Father. They would be caught up to heaven. They would be translated, rapturous experiences, visions, dreams, revelations. They would be translated or transported to other nations and minister. This is what these ladies and men did for over 50-some years. And that this would not just be them, but then there would be a forerunning voice or forerunning group that would enter into those encounters. There's already many of them now. And then in turn, Sid, they would then teach. They become like spiritual fathers and mothers. I'm speaking word for word what Jesus told Francis. They would become like spiritual nursing fathers and mothers, and that they would cause tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Christians to become Dove Company uh, people. Then at the very end of the end ministry, whatever that means and whatever that'll be, there would be the manifestation of the sons of God. And what that meant was what Jesus taught her what Jesus revealed to me in experience, an encounter, was that we would be so dead to self, to sin, as sons of God. We're called the sons of God, it says. But it won't just be us becoming like Jesus, you know, deified and all this. That's wrong. That's a wrong scriptural teaching. But we'll be so dead and hid in Christ and in God that Jesus, the Son of Man, will make many appearings, many appearings through his people, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, prior to his great and second appearing. And we're just in the forerunning stage of that. But, but, you know, James, I'm hearing so many reports of people that are having uh, visitations from Jesus. I never remember hearing so many reports. Is that the beginning of what she prophesied? That's the beginning, and it, you probably have heard those in the past two years. It, it, it's, it's an amazing thing. As a matter of fact, a lot of people think they're Bissell Meshuggah. That's Hebrew for a little crazy uh, because we're not used to hearing these things. But just because it's not in our frame of reference doesn't mean it isn't God. That's correct, Sid. I mean, that's, you're absolutely right. In fact, there is scriptural precedence for it. And uh, we just have to have the Holy Spirit illuminate us correctly and bring to light what is present truth today. It's always been there. It's just people have experienced it. It's just to think that there's going to be hundreds of thousands of believers. Now, now what they had as normal two years ago, you had what you call uh, the single most profound experience of your life. And it really sounds like what they used to do. Uh, tell me what happened. Yeah, it's what they used to do constantly. I mean, I would go and visit Francis Metcalf and ask where sister so-and-so, sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so was. They'd be reluctant to tell me, well, they're, they're translated uh, to Russia right now. 
you know, ministering. I mean, this was a common occurrence. To- I, I, help me out. When someone is translated, like we read in the Bible about Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch, and he was all of a sudden he was in another city. Is that his whole spirit, soul, and body when that happens? His soul, his whole spirit, soul, and body. My whole spirit, soul, and body was transported. Okay, now take me back. Where were you when this happened? I was here in, in my home in Argyle, Texas. Were you praying? Were you in bed? What were you? No, actually, I was goofing around. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing spiritual, okay. I wasn't being too spiritual. I, I think I was playing with my grandson or something. I don't know. And he went as soon as he went to bed or something, all of a sudden, the next thing I remember, I'm I'm standing on a dusty road. I had somehow in my mind, I, I saw a picture of uh, like a globe, and I saw the city of Tashkent in Ubekistan, but I went up north. It was like I was flying, and then I went east about an hour, north about an hour east then. and uh, Wait a second. I, I, I just wonder. I, this hasn't happened to me, so I want, I want to understand this. Uh, were you just being taken I mean, did you have any control? My wife turned. Oh, my, my 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 wife didn't see me. I was gone. Yeah, are you just flying to another part of the world? Yeah, instantly. Yeah, it took off. Rod Serling never had anything so crazy as that happen to him. Yeah, <laughs> that happened more often, you know. And I got to get on a plane in three hours and fly to London, you know. So I. <laughs> Oh, well, no, I'll tell you what, I'll, t- I'll take being transported by God any day or translated by God any day over an airplane. Uh, but OK, so where where were you? Where did you land? <laughs> uh, it's uh, a city called they pronounce it uh, Amade. We in English would call it Amaldi. It's on the border of Kyrgyzstan. Uzbekistan, Kurdistan, you'll see it. If someone wants to pull it up, they can see it. It was about, uh, can you imagine me having those kind of specifics? I can even tell you the name of the town. I was south of it about an hour, a little dirt road. Now, well, well, how, how did you even know the names of the town? Did you see a sign? I saw it. I saw, I saw it in my mind. I saw Tashkent, and then I went over north, and there was another town starting with a D, and then I went past it, and then all of a sudden, here's a Maldi, and I, I went down, you know, out of the town, you know, and it was out in the it was kind of out in the country, down south, and a little dirt road, because it's illegal to preach Christ publicly. Wait, were you by yourself? Uh, well, yeah, it was just me, and I thought, you know, here were all of these, you know, probably seven or 800 people gathered there. I wondered why. Why were these people gathered? I don't know, Sid. I... I, I'll tell you what, I do know. I do know we're out of time right now. We'll pick up right here on tomorrow's uh, broadcast. James actually started experiencing some of the things that Francis Metcalf and the and the women and the men that were in prayer for, for all those years with her to birth what is happening right now on planet Earth. Two years ago, he found himself flying through the air. Uh, he, he, he landed in, was it his Pakistan? What were the other countries, James? It was Kyrgyzstan, uh, Kurdistan, and uh, one of those stands. 
it was on the border there, probably Kyrgyzstan. Okay, and uh, you were caught up in the spirit, Miss, when I said yesterday, uh, who was with you? You left out the most important person that made that trip. Who was with you? I was getting there. I looked at all of those people, and I found out that an evangelist had come there a couple of weeks earlier and shared the love of Jesus, Yeshua, and they they gave their lives to the Lord, but there were sick and afflicted people. I never saw such a sea of humanity of sickness, disease, infirmity, children that had their limbs blown off because of mines and this and that, hundreds. And I'm just standing there thinking I'm all alone. And then for some reason, I turned to the left and standing right next to me was Jesus. Yeah. Now, uh, why do, do you have any idea why these 50 or so people gathered at that spot at that moment? Well, there were about 500, which ended up being close to about 1,500. Uh, they were there because either uh, I've been told vision, dream, revelation, God speak to, speaking to them in the night hour, meet in such and such place. I, I just suspect it's the Holy Spirit speaking. Okay, so these people show up. You show up, you see the Lord, uh, what happened next? Well, then he just, matter of fact, what was so remarkable was he, he really didn't even look at me. He just sort of, just like a matter of fact, just follow me. This is just the par norm. And he just started walking through the crowd. And um, he didn't minister to everyone because not everyone needed healing, but the vast majority did. But he would go up to certain individuals and when he would stop, then he would wait for me to step in. And I thought, well, what do you mean, step in? I just, so I would reach out my hand towards someone laying there, dying, and uh, all of a sudden, there were my hands, but then Jesus would superimpose himself. The only way I can describe it, Sid, he would phase in and out. And so they would see my hands, and they would see Jesus's hands. They would see his legs. They would see my legs. They would see his torso, my torso. This went on for three hours, and the glory was so tremendous. It went ahead of us about four feet. He never had to bind, lose, cast out, really even speak a word. No healing, no miracle took less than 15 seconds. And I watched the most amazing miracles. Every limb, tell, tell me a couple that you saw with well, your every eyes. Limb, every limb that had been blown off because of mines or whatever, uh, they didn't just grow out. They just appeared. All of them were healed. Uh, conjoined twins. I'll never forget. That was the most dramatic to me. There were two girls that were conjoined. They were about 14 years of age at the head. They just separated just right in front of us, right in front of Jesus, right in front of us. You're telling me someone uh, that had a limb blown off from a landmine, uh, you saw no leg, and then uh, you saw a leg was there. Is that what you're saying? There, yeah, it was just there. It, 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 there were a hundred of those. Hundred? Uh, yeah, yeah, Sid. There were there were a thousand or fifteen hundred people by now. I mean, blind eyes, deaf ears, crooked. I'm not embellishing here, Sid. I, you know. Now these conjoined twins. Where were they? Uh, where were they conjoined together? Their heads. At their the head. At the head. Yeah, at the side, and they just separated. And I, I mean, I went up to them and felt their head, and you couldn't even tell that they were even, you know, had ever been 
conjoined, and I mean, pandemonium broke out. I mean, after three hours on this dusty road, it wasn't desert. It was like um, the steps towards greater hills, which eventually you could look in the distance, see greater mountains. They were like, you know, the steps of something. Is the only way I can describe it. Uh, there were Russian descent, some fair, fair eyes, fair hair, but the vast majority were this Mongolian with Chinese, you know, looking eyes. I, I would imagine that they were mobbing you to get you to pray for them. Well, they they did. After a while, they just they started coming in. I don't know where they came from. I mean, they just just Yeshua, Yeshua, Yeshua. They just started screaming Yeshua, and he would just go up to them. Well, to everyone that was healed, there must have been fifty healed around them. You know, I mean, I'm just concentrating on the one person. But the, what was amazing was, it wasn't just him; it was me. But it wasn't me. It was him in me. I was just a son of God, an empty shell, an empty vessel, allowing the fullness of the Son of Man to come in all of his glory, all of his faith, all of his power and wisdom, and operate through me. That's what Romans 8 is teaching, is that we don't become like little gods running around and and working the works of Christ, we empty ourselves and die to the flesh so that Christ in his fullness can come, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, can come in his fullness and minister through through us. Is that what Galatians 2.20 says? I've been crucified with the Messiah. It's no longer I who live, but the Messiah who lives in me. Is that what that really means? That That's what I believe that means. I never fully understood it. Now, I know, you know, Galatians 5 speaks about to be imitators of Christ, imitators of the Messiah's dear children. And, you know, there is a measure that we all have in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I'm not minimizing that. I teach on that in Bible colleges. But the thing is, this went further. This is the ultimate consummation, the ultimate expression of ministry that literally hundreds of thousands of believers will become sons of God, allowing the Son of Man in His fullness. They're so empty and dead. It's not you and I that lives, but Christ that lives within us that he manifests himself fully through us. Now, James, I believe you. However, when you found yourself back at home, how do you know it just wasn't a pizza dream? Well, when I was standing there at the end and exhausted, it was in real time. So it was about 1 a.m. when I, you know, left, got back at 4 a.m., which would have been in the afternoon the next day there. Uh, I'm standing there, and everybody's screaming, Yeshua, Yeshua, Yeshua. And uh, Yeshua turned and looked at me, and he, he, just matter of fact, was quite humorous. He said, am I not creator? Am I not God? Is there anything too difficult for me? And immediately, I was at the foot of my bed. I don't know how I got there, but I stunk. I was sweaty. I had dirt on my clothes, on my shoes. Take a shower. Is there any explanation why you had the dust and dirt on your clothes beyond the fact that that's where you just came from? 
Is there any explanation beyond that? Well, no, just that I was translated spirit, soul, and body to another country. You know, so... I, but to me, that that's the kicker. When you came back with the dust of that country, I mean, you couldn't have had that in your house. <laughs> well, no, of course not. No, no, I was, you know, uh, it was just the same clothes. I mean, it was just amazing, you know, and I think that's going to be one of many that I'm going to experience, but I'm going to experience it for the purpose to to help encourage others that are called into this. And you got to walk real close to the Lord. I know there's a lot of flakiness and fanaticism and excess, and a lot of people think in their imaginations they're having encounters like this. I understand there needs to be a balance, you know, but what I'm saying, Sid, is that there's no other explanation. I mean, I, you know, was it a vision? I don't know. Was it a dream? I, all I know is, is that it was. it's kind of hard to explain. I just was there, experienced this amazing encounter with the Lord, and then I was back sitting on the edge of my bed, dirty. So I don't, you know. Now, now you told me about how you were mentored by this Francis Metcalf. Is that the type of thing that all of those people were having and you didn't even comprehend it back then? Uh, no, I was a teenager. I was a hippie. You know, I didn't understand what they were experiencing. Yeah, they were having that all the time. They were going to heaven and coming back, going to other nations and this and that. And and actually, some of the nations I've gone to in the past 40 years, I found out that they were there 30 years earlier interceding for a week. They were transported there, preparing the way. James, you had an experience in hell. Tell me about that. Well, I'll tell you, Sid, it was the um, most um, difficult experience I've ever had in my walk with the Lord. It took me many, many weeks to, in a sense, get over it by the grace of God. But um, I knew when I was a teenager that there would come a time that I would be visiting hell. Now, what I mean by that the Holy Spirit was preparing me at an appointed time. My spirit man left my body. I was in bed. It wasn't a dream. It wasn't a night vision. My spirit left my body, and an angel appeared to me, a very bright angel, and said, I'm to take you to the first level of hell. Well, my, my, my. I'd heard teachings, and I've studied about different levels of hell, but, you know, I just kind of dismissed it. But if this is the first level of hell, I can't even imagine what other levels would be like, because it was the most uh, difficult, uh, trying experience in my life, but yet illuminating. And it has caused many to give their lives to the Lord Jesus, because for some reason, modern theology is kind of... um, if I can word it this way, Sid, candy coated it over. In other words, just, well, hell is just some dark region where for eternity you sit in a dark corner and there's not really any torment. Um, Describe, again, paint me a picture of what you saw with your eyes. Well, there is torment. It's not metaphorical only. It is a true torment in the sense that God never intended people to visit there. It was for 
the devil and his angels. But I, when I stepped in with the angel, it was so dark, outer darkness, I could hear wailing, the gnashing of teeth, but I couldn't see anyone. If it wasn't for the angel's light, I would not be able to see anything. And the first thing that hit me was the blast of heat that was beyond human description, the choking that I went through. The smell was unbelievable. Uh, Chained to the wall were these huge troll-like demons that were clanking their chains, growling. They were huge, monstrous beings. And I noticed there was a black, icky pool of uh, like a like a sea, and I just automatically knew in my spirit that there were probably thousands of these in this dimension, in the bowels of the earth. I was in the bowels of the earth, but it was in a different dimension, of course. And um, all of a sudden, I just I noticed. I looked the light of the angel, and I could see flames, but the flames had no light. Now, I can't describe that to you, but just no light at all. Dark flames that were flickering, but no light. And uh, all of a sudden, they were permitted about four or five of these individuals, I could hear groaning, come out of each one was separated in their own little dugout pool hole in this black, icky substance. And they were just like skeletons, part flesh, you know, you could see their eyeballs in their cranium. They just, they were just skeletons with flesh just kind of hanging. And I could tell the one that came closest to me was a woman. And uh, there was, for some strange reason, uh, um, like a coral. I couldn't think that anything could live down here, but it was like a coral you know, that you see at the sea, and she just, oh, if I could just get a taste of moisture, I'll never forget that, just a a, a little bit of moisture, and when she grabbed for that coral, I'm watching this, I'm, I'm in excruciating pain because the heat, the smell, watching this, this tormented lady, you could see the torment in her eyes, when she grabbed that piece of coral, it crumpled in her fingers, and I'll never forget the, this still haunts me, the scream of agony, and then she, the torment, she looked up into my eyes, and those demons uttered something in some language, gutterly, guttural language, and that meant they were commanded to go back into their hole in this ooky mess and while she walked past me I fell on my knees and I said how could you tolerate how could you how could you tolerate this how could you live this way how can, how can you do this for all eternity and she looked at me and she spoke audibly and she said well at least I'm not down there and she pointed down and that just put a shrill up and down my spine that there was another level And she went back into that hole and was submerged. And what that ooky, you know, black film was, was all of the sins and all of the rebellion that surged through their mouths, surged through their body, kept reminding them for all eternity, all of what they did. That's what was shown to me, just all of what they did. And what was so scary was the sin itself began to morph 
their body in that hole and change and distort and contort their physical body. I, I, I just, if it wasn't the heat, the smell, the demons, well, look, the torment in the woman's eyes, that icky, you know, black stuff, there's something worse down below us. Uh, at least I'm not there. And then her laying in that, and you could just hear, you know, there wasn't constant screamings, or cry, but there would be every once in a while a groan or, a, you know, a, a gnashing of teeth. You could hear it or... James, what effect did this have on you after this was all over? Uh, just how time sh- is so short and that we're racing towards eternity and people um, must make a choice. And I can't fathom anyone having to live for eternity separated from the very presence of God because that was the greatest torment. There was absolutely no sense of God's presence. And, you know, you go anywhere in the world, no matter how demonic it is, and there's always going to be some level of you can sense God's presence. But there it was completely absent. You know what I'm hearing from you? There is an urgency for people listening to us right now to turn from their sin. That's called repent. To tell God you're sorry. Believe that Jesus paid the price and died for your sins and rose from the dead and make him your Lord with your mouth. You say it out loud to live inside of you. Do that right now. Don't you breathe another breath until you do that. Get right with God. Now is the acceptable time because now is all you have. James, I believe that God wants to heal some people right now. Uh, who, who does God want to heal? Speak it out. I, I believe there's a lady. She's up in the northern part, like Michigan, Wisconsin. She has a um, stomach mesh. Uh, she had surgery that's held up her organs. And um, this came to me several times. And uh, it's created uh, perforation and ulcers on the inside of her stomach. And this mesh has to either be dissolved, um, the ulcers gone, whatever. But I believe she's sensing a warmth in that specific area. And this whole thing is being rectified right now, right now. And I also sensed that there's a gentleman that has paralysis on one of his sides I want to say Bell Palsy. Um, this is in the east, and um, tingling is coming back into the side of his face. And um, also, someone has complete uh, inability to use their fingers or the wrist because of um, it could be culprit tunnel or it could be nerve damage. In fact, I would say it would probably be more nerve damage. There's a lot of people that are listening that are that have nerve damage. A lot of people in their feet. Uh, I see at least 12 or 13 individuals that have no feeling in their feet. This could have a lot to do with diabetes, pancreas issues, but it's down into your feet. You have no feeling. 
and it's just painful when you do have it. And the Lord is just right now just touching your circulation. Uh, there's a lady that is um, being touched in the back of her knees that has blood clotting. She's taking blood thinners, and God wants her healed right now in Jesus' name. I see this right around Arkansas, Missouri line. And um, just, you know, anyone, wherever they're at, if they have the condition, God shows no respect to persons, just reach out and claim it. And and the Lord, I know, will set you free because we've had countless people that have written, emailed, called, and said that that was me and were completely healed. There's no distance in the realm of the Spirit. You know, God will touch you and, and, and make you whole. And I do see one more. I see a man that has, and a woman, yes, and a woman that has a um, tumor on the brain that God wants you healed of. And uh, you're scheduled for surgery. One of you scheduled here very soon. And I'm just believing when you go back to the doctor, they're going to check one more time. There will be no tumor there, no tumor. And uh, there's a child. There's a, a, a couple that are in their early 30s. They have a child that has a blood disorder. Uh, that child is being healed right now. Okay, we're out of time, right? But right now, but I want you to get the Forerunner Foundation package. His brand new book, his three best CDs on the subject, for a gift of thirty-five dollars. You are called to be a forerunner. To place a credit card order for today's offer, call anytime at one eight hundred four four seven two six nine seven. That's one eight hundred. Four four seven twenty six ninety seven, or log on to our website at www.sidroth.org to hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show. It's supernatural. Visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. Discover how you can begin watching for free our 24-hour, 7-day-a-week TV network, ISN, the It's Supernatural Network. You can write me at Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. That's Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.